Our sermon text here this evening is John chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. John chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. Before we read that, we'll pray. Did I say John? I said it three times, didn't I? Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. Now we'll pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures, and we give you thanks for the Gospels, Luke and John included, and tonight particularly for the Gospel of Luke. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us as we seek to study your word, that you would give me wisdom, that I would speak according to the wisdom of God and not the foolishness of man. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. That's definitely Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by, his, by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Amen. And may God bless his word to us. So Luke has written for us a gospel. And the main subject of that gospel is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God who has taken upon himself flesh. Yet Luke has considered it very important to tell us much about John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who came before the Lord Jesus, preaching in the spirit and the power of Elijah, preaching concerning the coming Lord, the coming Saviour. John who proclaims Christ. John who prepares a people for the coming of the Christ. John who baptises a people who, though they have the word of God and though they have been given the promises of God, are unclean and need to be cleansed. A people who need to repent, though they would claim to have been the people of God. That John. John, who said concerning the Lord Jesus that he must increase and I must decrease. That John. John, who said that a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him by God. That John. John the Baptist. And so, though the birth of the Lord Jesus himself is truly miraculous. The virgin conceives in her virginity and gives birth to the incarnate Son of God. Yet even the birth of the forerunner, even the birth of the proclaimer, even the birth of the Baptist was in itself a supernatural and miraculous birth. 
attended with, accompanied by signs that confirm the importance of what is happening. Remember, we're told earlier in the Gospel of Luke that Elizabeth was barren. She was elderly. The time of bearing children was past her and God had never given Elizabeth and Zechariah children. Yet she conceives and she brings that child through to birth. Remember that Zechariah asks a dumb question and gets struck dumb in return. Yes, a little play on words. Zechariah asks the dumb question, how can this be? And apparently he asked in something of disbelief, even though he was counted as just, even though he was counted as a faithful man, yet in this instance, his faith, as it were, temporarily failed him and he spoke like a man of the world. And so he got struck dumb as a sign of the veracity of that which the angel had spoken. Not only was he struck dumb, it would appear that he could not even hear. It tells us that they had to make signs to him. Not only could he not speak, he couldn't hear that which was being said. But when the name was given, John, the name that the angel had said was to be used, John, suddenly his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed and he spoke Blessing God. Supernatural miraculous signs accompanied the birth of a preacher of the gospel. And already I'm imagining you can think what I'm thinking in a way. And that is for someone to be truly a preacher and a proclaimer of the gospel, a supernatural birth is required. It's not enough to have been born into the world. It's not enough to have parents. No, you have to be born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven lest you be born from above. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven lest you be born from above. How could you be speaking testimony from experience concerning the kingdom of heaven, concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning the power of the Holy Spirit, concerning salvation through faith, unless you yourself have experienced that same miraculous birth. You don't preach the gospel from outside the kingdom of God. You preach it from inside the kingdom of God. You don't talk about your feet being set upon the rock whilst you are standing in the miry clay. You have been lifted out of the muck and the mire and you have been set upon the rock, which is Christ. To be a proclaimer to be one who, as it were, goes before the Lord in a manner of speaking, it is necessary that one receive supernatural birth, that one receive life from above. So let's move through the text, starting at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, And they rejoiced with her. What are we to say here? What are we to understand? Well, always understand something. The people of God ought always to interpret our lives, the things that happen in our lives, the things that we are given as coming to us from God, 
as having been given by God. You can talk about science, and in many ways, that science is true. We know how babies are conceived. We know how babies are carried in their mother's womb. We know how babies are born. The science is true. But the baby came because God gave the baby. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. Now, I've pointed out that this is what we would call a supernatural birth. Elizabeth was barren and past the age of childbearing, yet even for any healthy young woman in a marriage who has children, I'm telling you that the children are of the Lord. A man can receive nothing unless God gives it to him. A woman can receive nothing unless God gives it to her. We have what God gives us, no more, no less. The fact that we can describe some of the laws of science that God has set in place that make uh, that are the secondary means by which these things happen does not mean that they come any less from God. All of these things come to us from God by grace. God had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. They rejoiced that a child was born. They rejoiced that she who was barren is now a mother. We, we live in a society that at this moment praises barrenness. It's doing all it can to make people barren, to make women barren. Every form of contraceptive. And if life is conceived in the birth, there's every possible way to kill that conceived life. And if you happen to have one, many doctors make it their practice to tell you that you should have no more. One is enough, they'll tell you. Barrenness is celebrated. It's no wonder they go after our children. Do you see what I mean? They have an ideology that denies them children of their own. Yet if you want to continue your ideology, if you want to continue your ideals, if you want to continue your program, well, the best way, even here in the church, the best way to continue any work in an ongoing sense is to do what? It's to indoctrinate children. It's to build them up in whatever it is you want them built up in. We indoctrinate our own children in the ways of the Lord. We raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, praying that the Lord will awaken them to a living faith because we know that there's more to it than just knowledge. We impart whatever knowledge we can and then we, then we pray that the Lord blesses that knowledge with regeneration, combining knowledge with faith and we have growing Christians. The world celebrates barrenness at the same time it goes after children to indoctrinate them in their ideology of barrenness. We're at war, my friends. We're at war increasingly and ever more openly. If you don't understand it, understand it. We're at war with the world. We're for peace, but I'm telling you now, they are for war. And in whatever way they can, they're looking to come after people like you and I. The Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced to her. 
Verse 59, and on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. This is our little connection here in this passage, back into the Old Testament, back into the promises given to Abraham, the promises that were um, written into the law as given to Moses, that on the eighth day the child ought to be circumcised, a male child must be circumcised. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and I like this, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Notice the they. The they must be the neighbours, verse 58, and her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And in that instance, the they is a positive one. They have come to fellowship with them. They have come to worship with them. They are rejoicing in the goodness of God. But then after that, the they becomes something of a um, negative. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. You see here that they are starting to think that this old couple, they need our help so much that they need us to take all their decisions for them. They can't quite handle this on their own. Poor Elizabeth, she's just an old lady, lucky to have a child, and Zechariah is deaf and dumb. And so that they decided that they sort of needed to step in and manage somebody's life a little bit for them. Often when people decide it's time to step in and manage somebody's life, those people become they. And the person whose life is being managed will say things like, they won't leave me alone. They won't let me make my own choices. They won't even let me choose my own meals. They keep coming around. They keep pestering me. They drive me mad. These people have become one of those they. They would have called him Zechariah after his father, continuing the tradition. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. So deaf, dumb Zechariah had obviously been able to communicate with his wife. Remember, it was the angel that told him that he shall be called John. Luke chapter 1, verse 13, But the angel said to him, that Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Apparently, he's been writing things down. He asks for a writing tablet. So apparently, over the, over the term of the pregnancy, Zechariah has been communicating with his wife. He has been telling her, the things that he has learnt and is learning. An angel told me that the name of this boy will be John. No, she says, he shall be called John. It's about as firmly as she could speak. He shall be called John. And they, there's that they again. They decided we need to have an argument. We need to argue the point here. This poor old woman doesn't understand. We know better. And they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. That's not in the family tradition. You sure, old lady, you know what you're doing? You sure you've got it? And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Be interesting, a game of charades. (laughs) Baby there squealing and squalling waiting for the end of this here ceremony, (laughs) and they're playing charades. What do we call him? (laughs) And they made signs to his father inquiring what they wanted him to be called. 
And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote. What's a writing tablet? Piece of wood with wax smeared across it. You get a sharp, sharp implement and you can scratch something out in the wax. It kind of works the similar way to a blackboard or a whiteboard that can be wiped away and started all over again. You just remelt the wax, smear it all over again, and you can use it again and again. The writing tablet, the means by which he has communicated. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. His name is John. It's even more firm than that which was spoken by his wife. She said, he shall be called John. From this day on, that's going to be his name. He shall be called John. Zechariah said, his name is John. From the moment he was conceived, from the moment the angel spoke to me, his name is John. God has named this child. His name is John, which means God is gracious or gracious God. His name is is John. He's learnt something, hasn't he? He's learnt something. Remember, he asked a dumb question and he was struck dumb, but now, now, what God has told me, that I speak. What God has told me, that's the way it is. What God has told me. In that experience of both, let's call it, discipline and blessing. Discipline and blessing. He was disciplined, struck deaf and dumb, and blessed, given a male child that you can be absolutely certain he and his wife had longed for all their married life. Discipline and blessing. In that process of discipline and blessing, he had learnt obedience he had learned obedience and I'm telling you now that when it comes to faith obedience is a necessary element if it if there is not obedience you cannot say that there is true faith he had learnt to submit to the will of God he had learnt to do all that he could do to conform himself to the will of God Discipline and blessing. And friends, what is our Christian life? Oh, it's a blessed life. Surely we are blessed. The promises of God find their amen in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. All the promises of God find their fulfilment in the church. It's a blessed life. We have eternal life. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have guaranteed victory in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are the overcomers, for our faith is the faith that overcomes the world. Victory is ours, even if we feel like we're not experiencing it now. Victory is most certainly ours. A life of blessing. We're the happy people in the world. We are, generally speaking, faithful Christians. Their marriages stick together. Their children are raised in love. Our houses are happy. How many happy people do you find in our town? You know, one of our members here, he used to have a job that took him to many different doors, many different households. And he would often say to me, my customers are miserable. 
My customers are being destroyed by their sins. They scream at each other, fight at each other. They can't scrape two things together and they are not happy day by day by day. Where's the happiness? It's found in Christ. The blessings come to us in Jesus. We're looked upon as the children of the living God, the sons of God with an inheritance that cannot be denied nor taken away. Amen. But when God is your father, well, your father dishes out discipline. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start reading at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God disciplines his people and prepares us to be what he wants us to be. When we sin against God, we sin against our Father and our Father enacts discipline as he sees best. Move on to Hebrews chapter 12. Starting at verse 3, Consider him who endured sinners, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Look at verse 10. But he, speaking of God, the latter part of verse 10, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. This is what's happened to Zechariah. As I said, blessed with the long-awaited son. And even so, disciplined, struck deaf, struck dumb. But he learned his lessons. He grew in grace and faith and in Christ-likeness. And so, when it came time for him to be obedient to the will of God, 
And when he had the authority given him by God to ensure that the will of God was enacted, he does so. He practices the obedience of faith. His name is John. And they all wondered, verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. We don't see it an awful lot these days, do we? And we don't often credit this as being the work of an angel, of a spirit being. Deafness and dumbness. And then being given back your hearing and your ability to speak. The work of an angel. Yet here it is in scripture. His mouth opened, his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Isn't it fitting that the first things he spoke, God gives him back the ability to speak. And what's the first thing he does? He praises God. He blesses God. Think of Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. That's from a song of praise by David, Psalm 145. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Isn't it fitting? The first words Zechariah spoke were blessing God. He's using his mouth for what it was designed for. For the purpose that the tongue was given now as a faithful faithful believer, he's doing doing that task, that work that God designed him to do. He was giving praise and glory to God, not to himself, but to God. Verse 65, back in Luke chapter 1. And fear came on all their neighbours, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Fear. Once again, sometimes Bible language is the opposite to our language. I often hear on um, TV shows, etc., that all fear is a bad thing and that people ought fear nothing. But this fear here is obviously considered to be a good thing. This fear is appropriate. What are they fearing? They're fearing God. It's almost synonymous with the idea of faith. God doing these things has awakened faith in the people around about. God doing great works. Notice these things are obviously being spoken of. These things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. Good news. Supernatural good news. Talked about. Shed abroad. Spoken of. And fear came on all their neighbours. Even in being born and even in being simply named At his circumcision, John the Baptist was bringing about the fear of God or being used by God to bring about the fear of God. 
Verse 66, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So when people are hearing of the good things of God, they're storing them up in their hearts. And look at the question, what then will this child be? This is not a normal person. You know, we've, we've been the Jews for 400 years, receiving from God, basically, silence. No prophets. No prophets. No word from God. We've got the scriptures, we've got the scrolls, but God has not been sending prophets to his people. 400 years of prophetic silence. And now a baby is being born, accompanied by signs, accompanied by wonders. What is God doing? That question, what then will this child be? It's kind of like, you know, what is God doing? What is God up to? Could it be that the Saviour is coming? Could it be the promises that they've heard, they're remembering and they're starting to perhaps believe them? Could it be? Could it be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. I like that. For the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was with um, Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. But Joseph didn't get the easy life. I mean, Joseph was beloved by his father, Jacob, who foolishly played the favourite and made his other sons jealous of Joseph. And his brethren betrayed him, would have killed him, but decided, let's send him off into slavery. Let's send him down to Egypt. Let's see how things go for him down there told his father he was dead. In Egypt, things did not go quite so well either. Although everything he turned his hand to succeeded, yet the wife of his first owner was a whore and she set her heart upon Joseph. And Joseph ends up in jail on the basis of false accusation. But the hand of the Lord was with him. And even in jail, Joseph was serving God and being prepared for even more service. For the hand of the Lord was with him. And then Joseph becomes the right-hand man of Pharaoh himself. For the hand of the Lord was with him. John is that kind of man. The hand of the Lord is with him. It doesn't mean that his life is trouble-free. It doesn't mean that there are no battles to fight. And remember, this man who has the hand of the Lord with him, this man is put to death because a pretty little trollop danced nicely before a tyrant. And he had him put to death to reward her and her mother. But the hand of the Lord was with him. He was a proclaimer of the gospel. He was born to be a proclaimer of the gospel. He was supernaturally born to be a proclaimer of the gospel. And the hand of the Lord was with him. My friends, Scripture assures us the hand of the Lord is with us. It doesn't assure us that we're going to live a life without battles. It doesn't assure us that sometimes those battles will seem to be losing battles or will never seem to be losing battles. It doesn't assure us that because the hand of the Lord is with us that our life is a life of ease. 
And it doesn't assure us that because the hand of the Lord is with us, that all those who rule and govern will see this and come seeking our favour. Often because the hand of the Lord is with somebody, those people who know that the hand of the Lord is not with themselves hate the person whom the hand of the Lord is with. The world hates the church. The world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. The world hates Christians. The world hates the gospel. We live in an age where people would rather believe lies than the truth. And they would rather not hear the message of salvation. They would rather pursue whatever they can get their dirty little hands on rather than repent and seek forgiveness of their sins. It does not mean that the hand of the Lord is not with us as it was with John the Baptist. Think of what Jesus said concerning John the Baptist. Until that time, born of woman, there had been none greater than John the Baptist. John, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. You think of Abraham, you think of Moses, you think of King David, you think of Elijah, you think of Elisha, you think of Isaiah. Great men, all of them great men, all of them born of women. And yet John the Baptist is greater than any. And yet the next thing Jesus said was, and yet the least of all in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. The hand of the Lord was with John the Baptist and he was the greatest of those born among women or of women. And yet the least of all in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. The hand of the Lord is with us, my friends. The hand of the Lord is with us. Let's never forget it. Let's go forward as Christians expecting the favour of God upon our undertakings. Let's go forward expecting that God will build his church, that God will bless the preaching of the gospel, that God will call his people together, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself reigns at the right hand of God the Father and with a rod of iron he will shatter foolish and rebellious kings to pieces like potter's vessels. That's what the scripture says. God has set his king on Zion, his holy hill. And that if people are wise, they will rejoice with trembling and kiss the son, lest he be angry and we perish in the way. That's wisdom. To tremble in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, the hand of the Lord is with us. Easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy to look at the number of enemies outside the door, as it were, and say, what shall we do? How shall we win? Where is the victory? May God open our eyes. Remember the prophet prayed that God would open the eyes of his servant so that his servant might see the chariots of the Lord circling round about. We need our eyes open sometimes. We really need our eyes open, and I mean supernaturally opened that we see that all things come to us from the very hand of God, that we see that the hand of the Lord is with us in all circumstances. My friends, if we are of faith, we have overcome the world and we will overcome the world and the Lord will not let his own fall to the ground. He will not cast us off. And isn't that something to rejoice in? Because 
I know that I am but a sinful man of no great power and no great value. And I'm sure you all feel much the same, not only about me, but about yourselves. The hand of the Lord is with us, as it was with John the Baptist. My friends, we should go out rejoicing, bold and joyful. It's actually a sin that we don't, and I'm guilty of that sin myself. It's actually a sin that we don't. Trust in the Lord, and he will make our paths straight. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as your hand was with John the Baptist, we pray that your hand shall be with us. We know that it is. We know that the scripture tells us that this is so. Yet, Father, we pray that in every circumstance we will be conscious of your help and your guidance. Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit we will be your obedient servants, sharing the good news about Jesus, rejoicing in your goodness and your grace and your mercy toward us, and fearing nothing in this world except you yourself, God our Father. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.